Hello? 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 T- turns out uh, you have to turn the volume up uh, on your headphones. <laughs> <laughs> if everything else is set correctly and the volume is still turned down, uh, it sounds like uh, you can't hear anything. That's um, not intuitive. Well, <laughs> That's what you call user error. Wow, that's right. Oh, I have to walk away. Hang on. Speaking okay. of user error, can you hear me yelling? Yes. Okay, I'm, I had to get my coffee that I mm. left across the room. Not uh, not prepared. Um, not prepared? Fully. You just called me like three minutes ago. Well, I was prepared, but I forgot that my coffee was elsewhere. Then you weren't really prepared now where you've been. No, I know, I know. <laughs> oh. You know what it smells like? It smells like Tim Hortons in my office. <laughs> It smells like Tim Hortons coffee, not like Tim Hortons, <laughs> the hockey player. <laughs> like the inside good. of his hockey bag. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Although my car kind of smells like the inside of the hockey bag right now. It's weird. I have, Is that so, because you keep your hockey equipment in your, in your car? Sometimes. <laughs> and right now I'm currently keeping Jack's hockey equipment in my car. At least I did for two days over the weekend. Oh. And his stuff's starting to smell. Oh, so he's, he's young. He shouldn't stink that much. I know. It's. I mean, I see. I, maybe it's not the player, but as much as it is the equipment. You know, it's don't just don't like, hate like, the player. Don't hit. Yeah, right. <laughs> hate the, the player. equipment. Yeah, is that the how equipment. they say that? That's how they say, they say it. Yeah, it's player. <laughs> so what's going on? How oh, I'm hang, I'm hanging out. I'm uh, I'm going to Brazil tonight. Brazil, as, uh, as I as I as I do every Monday night. <laughs> it's your Monday night trip. Wait to the Brazilian restaurant. See that? To yes. No, oh gosh. Um, yeah, so I'm flying to uh, flying to Brazil tonight. So I'm 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 excited to be going to Brazil. I'm I'm uh, I'm not I'm not looking forward to being gone a month, but I'm yeah, looking forward to uh, yeah. But I'm looking forward to the trip. So it, it well, should it should be a good trip. So awesome. Um, I just got back from, from a trip. I was in Canada for a mm. couple of days. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was, um, I was in Edmonton at, um, the Alberta chapter of the Canadian Institute of Public Health Inspectors mm. and, uh, Edmonton, I've been there twice in the last year and I had never been there before, you know, I guess it was February or, or March that I was there. And, uh, Last time I was there, I was like in the outskirts, and and I got this feeling that Edmonton was like this, I don't know, desolate, not super happy, weathered place. And then uh, this time I was in downtown Edmonton, and it's beautiful. It was really nice. I enjoyed it. Huh? That's interesting. It was. It was totally different. A mm-hmm. different vibe. Um, but uh, but yeah, I spent uh, a couple of days there talking to health inspectors. They're fun people. I love health inspectors. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hmm. I, I, I like I have a, a weird affinity for them. Our friend um, Michelle Samara Tim is a great great example. She as uh, a environmental health specialist. Um, she's just uh, she asks these really great questions, and these health inspectors they're just like really like good risk hazard people for some you know they're looking at these things that are really happening in real life and we just had these great conversations over a couple of days, so it was fun. Yeah, and and it's it's a it's a group that. And we've talked about this before in the podcast as well, but it's great to see IAFP doing more to bring those people to the excuse me, bring those people to the meeting. I'm getting all choked up. Um, bring those <laughs> emotional people emotional about emotional, this. yeah. Uh, bring those people to the meeting, and you know, through scholarships, they really are a key piece of the food safety puzzle. And and you know, it's not one that most 
food scientists, at least most food scientists that or food microbiologists that come up through the food science ranks, it's not a group that we really interact with all that much. You know, again, our, our federal colleagues interact with their, uh, you know, FDA and, and USDA inter- interact with CDC, but, you know, and, and it, but th- that additional connection right down to the boots on the ground person that's out there inspecting a restaurant or, or you know, even a state, a state level person, right. it's rare that, that, that those world as much as you as weird as you think that that might be if you're just hearing this for the first time um it is those worlds do not intersect i, I think as often as they should for optimal public health and for communication and, and yeah and like you uh, uh it's great to meet with those folks and in fact many of the at least some of the iafp affiliates are uh dominated by that type of person and so i've had a chance to visit some when i go to talk at affiliates um and it's a it's a great thing it's it's just the they're 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 good they're good they're good folks they are and the the thing that um is i don't know humbling maybe but the best word for it for me is all the all the stuff that we read that we're making you know, that i'm using in training programs or i'm using trying to convince people that food safety is important or whatever we do to get into people's heads um and, and what we're making some risk management decisions on uh, is ultimately coming from the field right and and sure in certain cases if it's a large scale outbreak or incident you're going to have a, a state you know foodborne epidemiologist and you're going to have the state investigators there but the person who who's probably been in that restaurant or at that facility a bunch of times is going to be this local person who knows what they're what what they're looking at who gets who has a real flavor or understanding of what's going on as much as anybody in the regulatory world day in and day out at this at this specific restaurant and they're um you know they're they're often um really key parts in in writing these reports that we that we use that we talk about on the podcast that we use elsewhere and and it's um you know, so there, there's just something about uh, sometimes the system is is really big and bogged down and there's lots of bureaucracy and it doesn't work. But then when you see some of these outbreak reports um, and, and we get some, you know, probable answers to a to an issue that, that those local folks are really involved with, that's when it does work. Like, you know, they're very much uh, partners and it's, and it's always um, – it's a group that – um, that I always in, enjoy going to talk to because they are really dealing with this stuff daily. And and I say this, you know, I work in the retail side. I think it's equally the same for the, um, you know, inspectors that are working in meat plants or in packaged good plants. I mean, these, these are people that are, you know, literally walking in on processes and being like, whoa, hang on a second, or seeing something that's really good and using that as an, as an example. It's, uh, it's very... Um, rewarding to to talk to them and very humbling because they're they're doing it day in and day out yeah and 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 we've talked about this before too uh at this year's annual meeting um i presented uh on some work that i'm doing i've done in collaboration with cdc but also with uh their snet uh right uh folks and and again working on that project and and talking with them about the data analysis and and all of that it's just been a tremendous experience and it wouldn't uh it wouldn't have happened if they hadn't reached out and said hey look you know we have this we have this data and we think that you're the right guy to analyze it for us and uh, I mean, it just—it just was. It's been a wonderful partnership, and, and I've always had a, a real appreciation for what those people do and the kind of data they generate. Um, but it was really great to work with them firsthand uh, to see that. That's cool. And oh, and, and speaking of 
public health types. One place where the interaction actually does happen um, is at the Conference for Food Protection. And we're um, just now, I'm just now gearing up. um, uh, Actually, I had a conference call last week with the Conference for Food Protection Hand Hygiene Committee. And we've got a call coming up this week for the Listeria uh, retail listeria committee. So I've been thinking a lot and, and, and again, reaching out to all of those, the state and local people, um, uh, that are part of that as well as of course the industry people, but it's easy to, what, what we've discovered, it's quite easy to find plenty of industry people who are willing to get involved in these issues. It's a little bit harder to find the public health people. And I think that's just because there are just way more industry people, um, uh, out there. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about those kind of issues just because the CFP committee process is gearing up. Yeah. And I'm, uh, also part of that process with the, um, food handler, uh, training certification stuff. So Excellent. I'm a, so has, yeah. has your committee started yet? We So we are in the midst of uh, trying to organize a call and all of our letters have gone out, but we, yeah, we haven't actually literally, literally started communicating yet. Mm. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good stuff. The, um, we had something in our notes that, um, wait, wait we have know, notes. We have notes. It's amazing, isn't it? You, you are, uh, you put some notes together and then I just put some other notes in there. Cool. As, Cause as I, <laughs> that's how we do. It. Yeah, because I, because I, you know, and we talked a little bit on the last show about how my workflow has changed because my system used to be if I found if I found something interesting, I would email myself a link to the web page and then I would go in and I would go into a text file in Dropbox and and do a lot of stuff with that and that just became too cumbersome and too many steps and so. I got some software with the, the wonderfully titled name to PDF that allows you to take a web page and just convert it to a PDF while you're on an iOS device and then just drop that or, or shoot that created PDF over to a, a Dropbox folder. And that's, so that way I can kind of do my show prep on the fly as long as I have an internet connection, which is you know, the only way I'd be finding stuff anyway, and then just sort of throw that stuff in the Dropbox so it's there. But I confess that I did not go and look and see what you had done to prep for the show. That's okay. Um, it, <laughs> okay, it, well, thanks. You're welcome. Because what I was going to – what we were talking about actually – connects to something that you put in there on this um, uh, outbreak, this uh, um, uh, perfringens outbreak that happened at the Food Safety Summit. Oh, yeah. Well, back, back in April. Yeah, I, lo- so, I love me a good perfringens outbreak. I have a, you know, we, we did work on that organism back in the early 2000s. We don't work with it anymore, but it's, a, it, but I, and I still do some consulting stuff for cooling deviations, but it is a, it is a really interesting. And the other, the other reason why I have sort of a, 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 a warm spot in my heart is that <laughs> we think, we think it probably was Clostridium perfringens back in the 1960s. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, um, back in the 1960s, that caused the food poisoning outbreak at Rutgers University. That, that, oh, that started s- the whole st- started the whole our whole uh, uh, food safety program at Rutgers. So it, it's hard to say for sure, but likely it was perfringens. It, it fits the it fits the mo of the organism. Um, so the you know this this outbreak is um, that happened. We we talked about it on a previous podcast. Happened back in in April and. Um, it, you know, it's notable for the food safety world because a whole bunch of people who are in food safety got sick from a pathogen at a lunch at a, <laughs> you know, there's, there's irony. Sometimes things are ironic, aren't they? Wait, is that how you're, irony is ironic? 
I, I don't know. I've been confused about irony ever since Alanis Morissette wrote a song about oh, it. She's amazing. I love that song. <laughs> uh, I, so, think, I, I think the joke is she gets irony wrong, though. She the, she says some, some things that are ironic that, in fact, are not ironic. But I guess that, that would that be ironic? Not, yeah. <laughs> it's very meta of her. <laughs> um, so so anyway, the this this outbreak happened. Uh, um, there were, I, the, you know. A whole 216 people got sick uh, or self-reported as getting sick uh, in this in this outbreak. And um, it looks like that it was um, chicken marsala and was clostridium perfringens. But it, I mean, it took a while to to pull this, you know, pull this stuff together because it looked like it was um, as buffets are, I think, you know, probably from an epidemiological epidemiological standpoint, kind of messy when it comes to looking for signals um and what people ate and what they didn't eat because you know i don't know what what a buffet is like for you don but i rarely just eat one dish um i'll i'll probably grab some salad i might get um a a small taste of each of the couple of entrees that they have um maybe i'll just stick with one i don't know it depends on the day well but (laughs) but but i but it's a but it becomes a mess right like trying to pull together all the multiple ingredients and what the dish could be but um it looked like uh, according to um, the Department uh, Maryland uh, Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, they uh, they look like they're uh, fingering the perfringens at the uh, chicken marsala. But you know, I, I've read I read the the story, and it didn't. Well, and and yeah, and so um, so I I made a, a link to the food safety news article, but then. Uh, in that, oh crap! The PDF doesn't have uh, links. Oh wait, so wait, so uh, yeah. over, yeah. So ugh, this terrible workflow. But um, oh, now I've lost the first page. Oh, this is the way you make podcasts, kids. It's not easy. Um, if you go, if you, so, we'll we will link to both the food safety news article as well as the summary report from the outbreak. But did you have a chance to review the summary report? Because I, when I, I did, yeah. Okay, when I did, I didn't. I didn't. Maybe I'm missing something, and maybe I read it too quickly. I didn't see anything in there that made it like that would have been responsible, except for maybe some missing information. I didn't see anything in there that screamed out to me, "Oh, this is obviously a perfringence outbreak," right? Um, right. And I think that where they where that um, let, let me let me. I guess put my guesses into mm-hmm. it as we're always supposed to do and put yep. speculation to what we're reading. Um, the the summary report focuses on this one caterer, caterer A, which is not the greatest name if I was running a food business. I would sure not want to be caterer A, no. Never want to be caterer A. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's even caterer A and uh, convention conference A. Conference A, yeah, <laughs> which exactly. which we which we've identified or which food safety news identifies as the food safety summit. Right, right. So, because we would, we wouldn't want to unfairly impugn the conference. No, no, we would not. We would not want to do that. Although they've been, you know, much reported. Um, okay, so I guess what they're looking at is the onset of the illness after the um, you know after the exposure, being that it was uh, likely this this one certain buffet, and then in in the report. Uh, during the environmental investigation or outbreak investigation, they talk about um, 
the preparation and holding of the chicken marcella um, served on April 9th for lunch was obtained. The marcella sauce was prepared the morning of April 9th, used only for that lunch. Um, kitchen staff might have also consumed that marcella, and uh, other two groups did at that day. Um, but there was a different um, – not everyone who is exposed to the specific marcella would have been – um, identified as part of the outbreak group. So they said that maybe it had some, like, I guess what it is, is it's messy and it might have had something to do with this Marcella. <laughs> and I guess, and your point is, is it the Marcella and perfringens or is it not the Marcella or is it whatever? I, I guess I'm with you. It's not super clear, but I think that's where they got it from. And I guess they did. Um, so they did have food samples um, that they cultured and they found suspect perfringens colonies, which were positive for the toxin. So, <clears throat> right. I mean, I guess that's something. And, but, but again, they didn't have the food, um, that was actually served that was linked to it. But they, when they look back at how it was constructed, how that, how that meal was constructed, they thought based on the temperature logs, um, that, it was probably a cooling holding issue. But in the report, it says that they sent 17 specimens to the CDC. Mm, true. And they're also in here, though, says the exact one on April 9th. They focus in on this April 9th lunch mm-hmm. and that that lunch did not have any leftovers. Oh, so the oh, leftovers okay. came from other things that the caterer did over those days. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so I mean, it's not a it's not a smoking gun, but the but being able to find it in the product on a different day plus um the temperature the temperature logs um became problematic. Well, and they found <clears throat> they did find stool samples positive for perfringens toxin. Right. So right, that right. that's yeah. that I guess is but but so, but do you, did you see anything in the temperature logs that implied a problem? Um, because I, I mean, it's, they say three temperature logs for April 9th were available. The temperatures were recorded at two time points, uh, 167 degrees Fahrenheit at 1015 right. and 151, um, or 152 at the, at noon for chicken marsala. So that's fine. Yeah. You know, and then. Uh, I mean, and and and, and, and the buffet was scheduled to be open until one fifteen. Well, <clears throat> I don't think noon to one fifteen. I mean, if, if it's if it's at one fifty two at noon, at one fifteen, it's there's you know that's that's an hour and fifteen minutes from noon. It's not going to be positive. It's, you're not going to get perfringens growth in that time frame. Right. I wonder if it could have been this demi glaze. Um, that they talked about earlier on as well um, about, you know, they, it was prepared the morning of. Okay. The sauce was brought to a boil, simmered from 30 to 40 minutes. They made 150 gallons of the sauce. Mm, okay. The sauce was drained from the steam jacket kettle into pitchers, poured directly over the pans of the cooked chicken breasts. Then here's where things get a little, um, you know, it doesn't. There's there's a time gap in here. Mm. It doesn't say how long it was, but you know, between 
that that it may have sat that that demi glaze may have sat mm-hmm. uh, out there, but then uh, plastic wrap was placed over the pans after the the glaze was uh, poured over the breasts. The pans were loaded into hot holding cabinets with sternos on the bottom shelf approximately one hour and twenty minutes prior to service, um, and then temperatures recorded at that time and two hours later. Um, the hot holding cabinet was plugged in well in the kitchen, then unplugged during transport and plugged back in at the location of service. But to me, it seems like that maybe there's that time difference between when they, what, maybe it was a cooling or hot holding situation after they made the demi glaze. Yeah. Oh, anyway, we're <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's just like it's not me, right? I mean, there no, is, no, it's not clear. This it's not rep- I mean, month. and and after we just spent the first uh, ten minutes of the podcast saying how great public health people are, uh, you know, I'm not really impressed with this report. <laughs> and but, I and I understand yeah. maybe for legal reasons you need to write it in a certain way, but it's just not it's not written in a way that you know that. That, that really tells me well okay and they did a they did calculate an odds ratio and it says that chicken marsala was most strongly associated with an increased risk of illness with an odds ratio that doesn't span zero so okay good but but yeah. tell me where the breakdown was right um and and it's not yeah i just don't i don't see it i mean again maybe it's just i'm not reading it carefully enough but it just doesn't seem to it's not a home run Right. Yeah, but it's not even written in a way that it's clear, right? It's like, I mean, I understand that you, you, you're not going to get, always get a perfect association, but tell me where, I mean, they're just reiterating stuff about perfringens. It's like, okay, right. So I, this is all like, you're just quoting from the literature on perfringens here, but, um, and they say if the, if the chicken marsala was not continuously held above 140 after cooking growth of perfringens could have occurred, yeah, but but that's but, not what but, they were. But tell me, that, tell yeah, me yeah. where it that happened, and tell me yeah. for how long, you know? Yeah, exactly. So. Um, uh, and then they, they go on to say it's possible the temperatures recorded did not capture the true variability of the temperature of the food over time. Now that. I, uh, that, that is that's ca- something that kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, so, but why not say we couldn't find any records of any temperatures that would have led to the outbreak. However, our supposition is blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. And it would have been nice to have a, like a flow diet. Yeah. 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 But anyway, what, what do we know? We don't, we don't, we don't, this is not our job, right? We don't do this. If stuff. somebody, use it. if somebody from, um, the, uh, Office of Infectious Disease Epidemiology and Outbreak Response, Prevention and Health Promotion Administration of the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene is a listener to the podcast and you want to call in uh, or write to us and and tell us what we're missing, please, please do that. Exactly. Yeah. We would love to, uh, we would love to hear from you. We'll talk, we'll talk more about it. I like it. Um, so yeah. Hey, we just jumped right in. Look at us today. We didn't go... All like, hey, what are you watching on Netflix? <laughs> We're right into food safety. <laughs> Yay, us! <laughs> I did, I did have, I did have uh, uh, some uh, brief distraction. This humorously a distraction that I wanted to talk to you about, um, just because I had the tab loaded up in my uh, in my browser when I started. But uh, but 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 maybe we should just move on and just stick with the food safety stuff. Let's do it. Well, I got more. I got more food safety. All right, stuff. let's let's go for it. It's it's food safety talk. Oh, and also we gotta talk. <laughs> is that about the name it. of the show? It is. It's it's like uh, it's like the title that we call it. It's like cater. You know what we should call it is caterer A. Mm. F- food safety talk. Food safety talk with caterer A, and conference A. Uh, um, 
All right. Oh, so- speaking of food safety talk, now here's another segue. Um, another tab I have loaded in my in my browser. Um, I I published an episode today. <laughs> Oh, so okay. did you really? So, yeah, I didn't, even- I didn't. I didn't tweet about it or 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 uh, social media about it. But just uh, subtle. Food, just food, subtle. Yeah. Oh, I figured we'd talk about it first, and then we could promote it afterwards. But yeah. So food safety talk fifty seven. Just this will this will uh, allow people to pinpoint when we're recording this. But but food safety talk 50, uh, sixty seven with John Bassett uh, went live today. Oh, fantastic! I will look forward to listening to that. Yeah. Um. Hey. So before we get off this perfringence thing, sure. Um. One of the, you know, seminal kind of things that that I've uh, I, I built my research on mm. is is a perfringent outbreak that happened way back in Texas in the seventies. Cool. Um, yeah. So this so this outbreak, a bunch of kids got sick um, from perfringents from Turkey, and uh, um, this guy uh, this guy Frank Bryan, I think ah. uh, is his name. I don't I don't, I don't, I don't I'm not sure Frank. Is I don't know how old he is, or if he's still alive, or anything like that. Or have you have you ever met him? Do you know? I you know I think I have met him. Um, oh, I have I have inadvertently started music playing. Can you can't hear that? Can <laughs> no, you? No, I can't. That's amazing. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, sorry about that. Um, uh, yeah, so that was the tab that I wanted to talk to you about. But I'm gonna, I, I, in, in my attempt to move that out of the the list of this, people love this stuff. Uh, move this out of the list of tabs that that are going to go into show notes. I, I it's it launched the app and, and started playing music. But um, so Frank Bryan, yes, um, I was just starting to get active in IAFP when Frank, I think. Got very upset with – so Frank used to be very involved in the Committee on Communicable Disease. Is that the right name? What's the – I think that might be it. I want to say CCFH, but that's that, that's Codex. Um, the, the, the committee – the IAFP committee that you and Todd is now chair of. Right, which is which it published the Red Book, the yep. little little Red Hassett book back in the day. Um, Frank used to be highly involved in that committee, and I think somehow he got upset with IAFP, or at the time it was IAMFIS, and then he just said, "Screw it, I'm not ever coming back." And and so and so I did sort of see him at the like at meetings and stuff, and like, oh, that's Frank Bryan. He's like Mr. Hassett. He's a really famous guy. Um, and um, but but I never actually met him or. or and if I did meet him, it was only to have a you know a few words of conversation. Huh. I lost you for a second there. It was weird. I don't. I, I didn't do. You, but you're back. You yeah. kind of said Frank Frank Bryan. He's this really famous guy. <laughs> yes. And that was it. And then it was punctuated with silence. <laughs> oh, well. And I have not. Um, you know what? I'm. Uh, let me. Uh, I'm. I, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm all uh, flustered today, Ben. My um, doing a time machine backup, which I shouldn't oh be gosh. doing. What so you probably turn off time machine iOS eight? Uh, no, that's already done. We can yeah. talk about that too. Um, uh, so time machine is running, and then Dropbox. I moved. I moved basically lots of stuff to the cloud on Dropbox. So I'm going to turn that off. All right, sure. I'm back. Good. Well, hey, Frank, so here's Frank my, Brian. Here's- yeah. Here's my Frank Bryan thing. Mm. Um, they, he did something back in the early 70s when he was – I don't know. I mean I don't know what he was – like what his position was or if he was at the State Department of Health or what. But 
there was this outbreak that happened at a school and um the the school served uh, a bunch of turkeys it was around thanksgiving or christmas or some holiday and uh he was brought in to be part of the investigation because he'd done a lot of clostridium work right and um the the focus was come in and tell us what happened here and so we can make some recommendations to the school system and he um the you know epidemiologically they said well we know it was turkey and that's about it mm-hmm. and he asked them to recreate the meal that they made exactly oh cool and put a bunch of students and other people to observe all the practices and watch the cafeteria staff make it and be like look the outbreaks <clears throat> happen we need to know exactly what went down here um and uh and basically found that the when they were they were cooking all these turkeys in all different ovens all throughout the school and they brought them to a central location and then basically left them out for um you know over four hours six hours or something um let them cool down to room temperature and then carved those turkeys and then served it out and he's like hey there it is um we watched what you just did but there's no like this obviously this is before HACCP. this is before temperature logs this is before any of the stuff where we were really just doing investigations based on okay let's see if we can pinpoint the spot that this happened and he had this uh, this idea like that seems ridiculous not ridiculous but like obviously now because this was like the start of that cool. <laughs> by saying let's let you know let's watch what people are doing um and they're um very eloquently in the paper um which we'll we'll link to uh says brian and colleagues or this is my paraphrasing of it stated that the information derived from the epidemiological study alone was not enough to allow investigators to make suggestions to correct the handling and preparation to reduce the risk of further outbreaks so he said oh we'll do an observation study Cool, cool. So, and this is a, a paper that you wrote, is that right? Uh, sorry, that was in that. What I just read was in a paper that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but the work that was in a um, in a paper called "Video Observation and Data Coding Methods to Assess Food Handling Practices at Food Service" that was in Food Protection Trends last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but the Brian paper is. Um, was in the Journal of Milk Food Technology, mm. uh, and it was the use of time temperature evaluations in detecting the responsible vehicle and contributing factors of a foodborne disease outbreak. I see the citation, yeah, and that and that probably is not going to be on the web anywhere. It's because, not, but yeah. you know, we are working on that. That is one part of our plan is to go back and so that 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 particular journal the journal of milk food technology is i think is that hmm is it iamphis or yeah not, well and then or defez and then became i think so became, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure they might yeah hmm, i'm not sure but anyway um uh, yeah I could, it might not be oh this is horrible <laughs> this horrible podcast who are these guys they don't know anything ben it's all right no one's listening, Don. No. <laughs> people Apparently are people are. It's crazy. They expect they probably expect more from us. I know they well, do. Well, here's more. Okay. <laughs> You're waiting for more? Here's yes. more. Yes. <laughs> um so so we had something yesterday in, in Barf Blog that, that Doug uh, um posted uh, about uh three people dying in Denmark from Listeria and asparagus soup. Mm-hmm. Did you see this? I did. And and then uh Chuck Haas. Charles, Dr. Charles Haas, mm-hmm. 
listener uh, of the podcast. Listener of the podcast. Tweets, tweets back at me. Because I, I, I tweeted about it, and I was like, man, asparagus soup in Listeria. I, I'm thinking that it's got to be some sort of a chilled soup. I don't know much about asparagus soup. I've, in fact, the only asparagus soup that I've had has not been chilled. But, uh, but Chuck uh, tweets back and said that he's, uh, he's uh, an, uh, an asparagus soup aficionado. Um, and uh, uh, the recipes that he knows has a dairy component to them, and they can be served either cold or hot. And even it, hashtagged it asparagus soup. But he didn't use the word aficionado in the I'm using tweet. that word. Okay, okay. I, I, I'll tell you, anybody who uses the hashtag asparagus soup is, a, is an asparagus soup aficionado in my books. All right, fair enough. I'll give you that one. Um, but, uh, in, I mean, interesting early stages of this, but... Um, you know, uh, folks in a in a hospital, uh, low, um, you know, uh, immunocompromised potentially, uh, getting getting soup. I, you know, I think of a couple of things on, um, you know, post uh, post cooking contamination, um, and 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 Char- you know, Chuck brought up uh, dairy, which is which, which could definitely be a, an issue. You know, we've seen lots of lots of listeria with dairy in the past. Yeah, well, and that that's the first thing that immediately came to my mind is hospital, right? Because there yeah. have been other outbreaks, uh, and again, I famously in another scan, maybe another Scandinavian country, maybe in Sweden, there was an outbreak with butter for maybe Finland right. butter, yes. Finland, also in yeah, yeah, also in a hospital. Um, but you know, the other thing is, I would it doesn't surprise me a bit if if you were to go out and sample asparagus and find listeria. Now, I guess the question is. You know, you're going to cook that asparagus before you eat it, which is going to get rid of the listeria. But would, uh, yeah, you would think so. But but in this, I mean, it's so maybe the picture that, that we had on the uh, on the blog, and who knows what you know. Again, we we do a lot of speculation because there's not always enough info in the in the story. But the um, the picture here looks like there's some asparagus that's been. Um, that's placed on top of the soup. This is not a picture by no means is a representation of the soup that was in the, the hospital, but it was, you know, you got this soup that's been, um, you know, boiled or simmered or cooked, and then you got to cool it. And then maybe there's some, uh, um, contamination or you put some asparagus on top of it that maybe you've just, um, you know, lightly steamed or, or sauteed or something. But, yeah. um, but there's a, it's, it's one that, um, is, May, you know, if if it had been not chilled, you know, it's you know, listeria is not not super heat tolerant, um, and uh, there's a you know a management uh, um, step there that that could reduce that risk. But in a, um, a population like like this, um, you're not you're not looking at. Uh, uh, the same kind of uh, immune response, and and it may not take as much, uh, um, you know, uh, in much uh, average infectious dose or mean infectious dose, as you like to say. Uh, I have to say, just to close the loop, I learned that from Chuck Haas. So, oh, amazing! <laughs> but interesting. I mean, interesting outbreak and, and horrible stuff. But um, you got dust from it. But it's you know, with a product, you know, not. Not something that I would have you know, would have guessed, but but thinking about it a little more, it's, uh, there are lots of cho- lots of things here that could have gone wrong. Indeed. So to jump around a little more, we haven't done follow up, but I did see um, someone made a comment. Someone, uh, a listener, uh, someone who harasses us a lot uh, on the interwebs about not having new episodes up. Tom Tom mm-hmm. Sieberts, um mentioned something about he had made a suggestion. 
about doing flashback trivia or outbreak flashback with trivia. Is that true? Did I miss that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I'm, I'm, is that what he said? I thought so. I also, I think Tom, I I have a request from him from a while ago when we ever do outbreak flashback again to do the outbreak flashback intro as a hip hop song. That's what I remember. I remember that too, but I thought he said something about, I, I, you know, where's Chapman on his, uh, on this outbreak flashback trivia. But maybe it had to do with uh, – I, I was looking for clarification. Maybe I just misread I, I, You know, I've been uh, – the older I get, the less I remember anything. <laughs> it's amazing I remember to show up for this podcast. Well, that's true, but I did text you. You did. You did. You did. Um, all right. Well, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Uh, but speaking of Facebook. Yes. You put out a Facebook poll. <laughs> I did. You're, you're a bit of a researcher I, on the Facebook. I, I, well, yes, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's an interesting study. And so, what what prompted this is um, there was a post from our good friends at USDA Food Safety. Yes, USDA Food Safety. Thank you. And that um, reminded me, or that they said, what did they say? They said, um, to avoid cross-contamination, use two separate cutting boards, one for produce and bread, and one for raw meats, poultry, and seafood. And it occurred to me that we, in my house, we have, well, sir, let me, let me give the background, okay? And the, the background is that, I mean, certainly, as a guy who studies cross-contamination and who's a food safety person, I understand you don't want to cross-contaminate. And we've even published some work on cutting boards. So I understand that you don't want to cross-contaminate. But the way that I manage that is we have a lot of cutting boards, and then any cutting boards that touch raw meat go in the dishwasher. And they get washed in the dishwasher at a high temperature, and they get washed, and they get and, you know, and, and bacteria are killed. In fact, we've talked about this. I've talked about this when, when on the episode when Bats was on, um, right? Because apparently he doesn't have a dishwasher, and so he uses hot, he uses boiling water, which is a very good risk mitigation measure. But it occurred to me, um, you know, and now that I'm rereading this, their their tweet, maybe I'm misunderstanding it. But um, I, my question was, how many cutting boards do people have? Because my my feeling is that most people have a lot of cutting boards. Except for apparently Michelle J, who has two, and Jeff so, June has eleven. Yeah, yes, yes. And I don't, I don't. And I thought we had a lot. And then I posted a picture. I can count quickly: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, like t- at least ten. And then my wife complained that I should have straightened up the cutting board cabinet before I took the picture. It looks pretty, <laughs> looks pretty straight to me. But anyway. Um, yeah, and so oh, and uh, uh, Christine uh, Lukasik, uh, Rutgers Rutgers grad, um, has twelve, and even a nerdy science engineer one, uh, which he posted a picture of. So, um, and then friend of the podcast Brian Souders points out this is a highly scientific survey, um, and then one a former graduate student of mine, Pradeep, has uh, two. So, but but most people seem to have a lot more than two. So, um, you know, I mean, I think more importantly. Um, you know, how many you have, what are you doing to manage the risk? And I can't, I just can't imagine living in a kitchen that only has two cutting boards. Right. And this, uh, this exact conversation came up with, um, 
uh, Matt Shipman, uh, one of my hmm. friends, did a, um, a, a spot on uh, the NC State uh, research blog, the abstract, on cutting boards. He, uh, he, you know, Matt and I hang out a bunch, and he's like, I'm going to. I, I, he's a he's a he's a food guy. He he does a lot of cooking. Um, really interested in different you know food techniques and stuff. And said um, I've been wondering for a long time. Two questions: one, um, how many cutting boards should I have? Mm. And and two, when do I throw my cutting board out? Mm. What, you know, what are the food safety risks of these of old cutting boards? I've got a whole bunch of them. Do I retire them? Do I get rid of them? And so this you know he and I did that. Um, did that conversation, then he wrote about it for um, for the abstract. Right at like, I mean, literally the day before, or two days before, um, you you asked your scientific question oh. without, IR, without IRB approval. Well, that <laughs> um, yeah, I, right. Uh, and uh, and we had come and get um, me, come yeah, and get right, me, right. IRB, come oh. and get me. <laughs> Hey, so. hey Facebook, we've, we've talked about this before too. Facebook apparently does, uh, does studies uh, without IRB approval and publishes them all the time. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, cutting boards are, are interesting, right? Like they're mm. – I think people worry about them a lot. Um, I think the like, – like you said, the, the management um, – people worry about different things. But the management side of things is just having – Lots of them, and keeping you know, keep, keep having a step to clean and sanitize them. Um, what yeah, you know, whatever that is. Having only one or two would make for preparing a meal kind of crazy. I mean, you, you, for me, I'm like would be constantly washing and and drying and sanitizing. Right. Well, and and to me, it, it, by focusing on the cutting board. You're kind of missing the picture. Like, like imagine, right. imagine you're sitting in your kitchen and you're going to make hamburger or you're going to prep a chicken, you know, to cook on the grill or whatever. You're just, you just got like a Campylobacter salmonella factory there, right? And and you have to think, okay, I'm handling. I mean, you have to. I mean, think like a microbiologist, right? And think about aseptic technique, right? So I've got to take this chicken out. I've got to somehow thaw it. I've got to do something with the the, the thaw juices that doesn't, you know, fling that around the kitchen. And then I'm going to put this this piece of meat again let's assume it's a piece of chicken on the cutting board i'm going to cut it up that's going to um, aerate it's going to spray the area so now it's a cutting board that's contaminated but probably the surrounding countertop and certainly the knife and certainly my hands right and now i've got to somehow get this either out to the grill if it's if i'm cooking in the backyard so now i've got to leave my house by a door which i've got to somehow open in in such a way that i don't contaminate it and maybe i'm going to go back to the sink and wash my hands and but then how do i transport the cutting board i mean so yes the cutting board is important but there is so much more of the whole surrounding area that becomes equally important in how do you manage that risk more so than just the simple cutting board. I mean, but again, people love to talk about their cutting boards and this is an, uh, one of these things that we've had drilled into us again and again, um, you know, about, about avoiding cross-contamination, but, but it may, again, not that it's not important, um, but, you know, it, th- there's a bigger picture there. And and by the way, Matt picked a lovely, a lovely picture. Maybe he didn't pick the picture for his story, uh, showing all these wonderful pieces of meat on a wooden cutting board. Right. Right. Which, which is not what I do, but it would be okay. It's a beautiful, right? like, well, yeah, it's well, beautiful. it's a beautiful picture. Well, I don't know. It yeah. depends. I don't know if it would be okay. I mean, there's some, there's some research by Dean Cliver that would indicate it's okay, but then there's other right. people that have different opinions. Right. And true, true. this, brings us back to the whole, uh, which again, I think I also talked about with bats, the artisanal cheese, uh, cutting board, uh, artisanal cheese boards, uh, in, in cheese, cheese plants. So 
anyway, endless, endless opportunities for speculation, not a lot of science there. Right. And um, it's, it's clear that people love, love wood. <laughs> Yeah, and well, cutting, we and they're cutting boards. Well, and we have we have a beautiful wooden cutting board, which mostly we just use for bread. We don't use it for produce, and we don't use it for meat. I um, there was a really interesting on the on what Matt posted about the conversation actually went into like resurfacing and, and cutting boards, and someone R- Ricardo Shalaki um, says. It went in, in response to someone resurfacing a butcher block, block like really like detailed. Like if the cutting board's a butcher block, it cannot be resurfaced on a planer because the grain runs vertically, but the shop can use stationary belt sander. For those who are handy, a small belt sander can do the job. Like we're talking, we're literally Don talking about belt sanders now and food safety for Ben. Cutting ben, boards. it's it's the internet. It's crazy. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion. Oh man, and uh, and some of those people like you know, and and he goes into more detail. Right, it's oh, a co- yeah. it's a coarse grain belt sander, which, by the way, is one ten one fifty, followed by two twenty two eighty, and finally three twenty three eighty. Three eighty. You got your three twenty three eighty there. Yeah. One twenty, one twenty one, whatever it takes. Well, you can turn it up to eleven. Don. <laughs> I like to keep my, you know, I just like my turn my belt, belt sander up to eleven. To eleven. <laughs> I think I think we just found the show title. <laughs> uh, um. Right, oh, so and then just so you know, Ricardo, he's he's got qualifications. He, uh, he for several years he made and sold butcher blocks, maybe more than a thousand. So, yeah. you know, if I if I tell you what, you know, if I want butcher block information on the internet, I'm going to go to Richard Ricardo Ricardo Lackey. Yes. Oh, and we'll, oh. we, and this is all this is all in uh, Matt's uh, wonderful post, which uh, we will we will link to in show notes. Absolutely. Um, so I, I had a, um, when, you know, when I was in Alberta, um, I had another uh, interesting raw milk conversation because you know how raw milk gets pe- people love to listen to our podcast and listen and talk about raw milk. They're all, all all the raw milk conversations are interesting, Ben. They are. They are. Um, so, but the the reason why I think of it is because mm. uh, someone on the on the panel, um, it, it very much like the conversation that you and I had. Um, Way way back when that got us into the into the raw milk world uh, <laughs> about doing things like is it riskier when it's on the black market versus not? Um, uh, I, someone had asked the question about why in Alberta and in Canada is raw milk you know regulated the way it is when when something like apple cider is regulated differently and both share similar. Um, risks and, and can you compare these two things? And one of the panel members said, there's this guy, Dean Cliver. This is the panel member speaking, mm. saying um, comparing these two things is like comparing bungee jumping and parachuting. And I never had heard, um, you know, Dean talk about raw milk and unpasteurized apple cider, but that was, uh, you know, apparently the, what was relayed was, you know, something like parachuting um, where you, the consequence you're way way high up lots of things can happen that's that's your that's your raw milk situation you've got one piece of um you know uh, cloth uh, in between you and the ground and then the other side where um uh, unpasteurized apple cider and is is like jumping from a bridge where we're sure it's very dangerous um but it's not as high i guess hmm. and i and i not sure i would want to do either of those things with um with faulty equipment, 
Um, well, but, and I would I would like to see the analysis because right it's not it's not just about how high because you you know if you if if you screw up in a bungee jump you're just as dead. That's what I <laughs> so, thought. Yeah. So it's not a the analogy the analogy breaks down, right? I mean, what's important is what's the risk and, you know, what's the risk and then what are the risk mitigation measures? And, and so. is it, and I don't know if it's like prevalence, like more people are skydiving than they're bungee jumping. Well, you have to control yeah. for the denominator, right? Right. It's, right. Not, it's not the absolute number of deaths. It's the death, death rate of the activity. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, it was, it was interesting that, you know, I, I had just, um, I, on Barflog posted that I was channeling my inner Dean Cliver. <laughs> Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's you know there's Dean Cliver being being mentioned again. And Dean, uh, we should mention, Dean passed away in uh, I think it was like 2009 or something like that. And um, and and someone had mentioned that uh, after I posted something on on Barflog about the cutting boards that uh, I mentioned Dean and and he had done all of his cutting board research at uh, the University of Wisconsin before he went to uh, UC Davis later in his career. Right. And I never met never met Dean, but he. Um, he posted a few things on the blog um, back uh, six or seven or five or six years ago, uh, which was which was really really cool. You know, he was, um, you know, I guess followed what we were doing, and and him and Doug had uh, had spoken a few times, and he, um, um oh, where is it? Uh, D- Doug just wrote, you know, when I was finding this stuff on on Dean, um, he wrote something a couple of years ago when when Dean died, saying, um, "I didn't know Dean that well, but he would email me frequently about food safety issues of the day. He contributed to Barf Vlog in 2008 and came up with the most apt bio I've ever had the pleasure of publishing." Quote, Dr. Cliver officially retired October 1st, 2007, and is winding down from 46 years in academia, battling infectious agents in food and water. His research career has led him to see the world as if peering outward through the anal orifice. Quote, this reverse proctoscopy confers a unique viewpoint. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. So we'll, um, he did, he did that, uh, cutting board research at, uh, Wisconsin. There's a, still a very nice page at the, uh, vet med, uh, department at UC Davis where he, where he moved after leaving Wisconsin. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll link, uh, we'll link to that page, which describes his, uh, plastic and wooden cutting board research. And I did know Dean pretty well. We were both IFT food science communicators and I used to see him regularly at the IFT meeting and then also at the IAFP meeting and Dean had, uh, he would have been a great podcaster because he had this wonderful, deep radio voice, just very, you know, Garrison Keeler esque just, and he just was a great storyteller. So, uh, he's, he is, uh, missed, uh, missed, uh, sorely these days. And in fact, uh, I was, uh, I just came, speaking of Dean Cliver, I just came across his name today because there was a manuscript that I was handling for AEM that was about parasites and uh the they cited uh paper and i was going i needed to go look at that paper for some reason and it was a paper by dean cliver about uh seawater and parasites so uh very uh interesting interesting fellow and a a great great colleague and uh, he's 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 missed uh, today even well and you know we i think we did a, a podcast earlier this year um when um when bill keen passed away and and talked about you know, I don't know, legacy stuff. And, and for me, I have no, 
I have no interest in, you know, in, I guess the true evolutionary, evolutionary biology way. I'm concerned that my genes in the, in the gene pool that I am part of are passed on. And I've tried my best to do what I can on that with my two kids. Um, but, but the only, I mean, the, the, I guess the true testament to, um, to being, uh, to having a legacy within, within our field is that, you know, a couple of years, after, I mean, almost five years after someone passes away, that here we are talking about them um, today. That that the work that that you do lives on. Um, that the students that you train um, continue the the philosophy of, of what you know you you come up with and, and get passed on. I'm always you know uh, it's always interesting to think about these mortal situations and this you know we all go. But I'm 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 completely amazed when. Um, when you know when stuff like this comes up, when when there's someone who you haven't really thought about for a while, um, and their work is still still relevant and it's out there, and, and not just their work in the sense of their their employment, but the, their contributions to the field and um, into you know into the world just just stay out there. That's that's really that's that's all I can ask for, Don. Yeah, well, I mean, science does afford one a, a bit of immortality. You know, you put these papers out there into the literature and uh, people come along hopefully and read them and, and build on them and hopefully don't find too many mistakes. <laughs> right. You know, but, uh, oh, sorry. It's oh, very, it's sorry. very noisy are, are where you I on, am. You're on the freeway? You got, yeah. you got a... Yes. Yes. I am. The, I'm podcasting. You just drove by? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sprung from cages on highway nine, which is that that's actually not highway oh. nine. That's, uh, oh, that's, um, yeah, that's, yeah. uh, but it's a road right next to my house, which apparently uh, people are driving very noisily down. So, um, so, all right. I think we, you know, we've had a couple of episodes in the last little while where we've had some really great guests, and I haven't listened to the Bassett one yet. But John's John's great, and I'm sure I'm sure that conversation's uh, fantastic. I, yeah, I just listened to the Mike Bats, the one that you did with Mike Bats. I, I feel like. Maybe I'm getting all sentimental, but it, you know, when you said that it, you know, Dean would have been a great podcast guest. I feel like we need to get some more podcast guests to to like people that that'll be great guests that we want to talk to. Oh, and, and who could well who could forget Doctor uh, Freeze. Freeze? I mean, oh my gosh. yes. So so one of my actually one of my uh, graduate students, uh, Ann Charles, who does show notes for us, she was very impressed and and very much wanted to wanted to meet Doctor Freeze because she, she just yeah 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 it's a I think it's, it, you know, a bit of a segue here, but so there's been a lot of discussion in the technology community about women and how women are disenfranchised or they're mistreated at tech conferences or in the video game world. And I have to look around uh, at, at representation of women in the food safety community, and they're very well represented and they're in leadership positions. And it's just, it's terrific when I, when a female graduate student can, you know, find somebody who's been a guest on our podcast and say, oh, that's a, that's a food safety person, you know, in the, in the food safety world that I really want to meet someday. So oh, that's, that's, um, awesome. that's just, that's just nice. And then of course, uh, anytime that we make bats listen at normal speed, which apparently he had to do <laughs> because, <laughs> because Dr. Freeze talks, well, very fast and with a Southern accent, which is, which are two things that don't always go together. Um, uh, so, I mean, that, that episode was just a win. And, oh, and the beautiful picture that you picked of the Freezy Pop things. That you was, like that? That was so great. Yes. Artsy. Very artsy. Very nicely done. Yes. Um, let's, let, let's spend some time, um, 
offline, not just throwing out names here. And let's you know, let's put a request out from from the listeners. I, I you know I think we. I think it adds a lot when we get to have these great conversations with people. Are you saying um, you're bored with me, Ben? No, I'm not bored with you at all. I could do this. I just want to add another one to our list. We'll okay. just do it once a week now. <laughs> now it's, <laughs> um, but it's so like I, I, I literally wish that we had had Bill Keen on to oh, to just talk I about know. stuff that we that we are. So let's not let, let you know. I don't know. Let's do that. Let's let's try and make sure we're um, we're we're actively. Uh, grabbing people every once in a while because what a great conversation we had with Bill Marler earlier mm-hmm. this year. It's you know, and Doug, um, although we had to edit out like forty minutes of the of it, um, <laughs> <laughs> but mainly because it had it was less linear than than even you and I can be. Um, <laughs> uh, but that that's okay. So anyway, I'll I'll leave it. We need more we need more guests. Or we need, we need to maybe we don't need more guests, but we need, we've, we've got to try to preserve some of these discussions. Yeah, well, I mean, there are. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that's the right way to look at it. There are there are a lot of people out there who should we should we should interview because the world needs to hear from them. Yeah, and and we need to uh, put them on our turf. You know who's a, who? Let, uh, let's see if we can make this happen. Um, Jack Gazayich mentioned uh, about a year ago that he's been listening to certain episodes of the podcast and does not like some of my musical suggestions. <laughs> um, and and he'd be he's I mean he's a guy who's who's seen a lot seen a lot of stuff uh, on the uh, outbreak investigation side of things. Let's see if we can reach out to Jack. Yeah. Now is he retired? He is. Ah, so he can because he, he, he before he couldn't be on because uh, he worked for FDA. Yeah, he can so, talk all he wants. He said. Yeah. <laughs> that would be. You know, speaking of people who can talk all they want, Carl Custer. Oh, Carl! Fantastic. Let's get so, Carl on. Yeah, and but but both but both Jack and Carl would be great guests. So. Absolutely. Um. So have we? This is this is you and I figuring things out mm-hmm. on the go. How, have we? Have we killed? Outbreak flashback? Are we still doing it? I mean, we haven't. Do we need it? I don't know, Ben. <laughs> I, I don't. Since we went on, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. Since we went on hiatus, um, I I just I've been very and I've changed my workflow. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm I don't know, Ben. I don't know whether I'm coming or going, as they say. Well, how about this? Let's. I'm. I'm okay without it. Um, I think it was it, it you know it filled the need for a while that we were using in the IAFP trivia um, and history of food safety. But if if there are if we have suggestions, if people really want them, let us know. Mm-hmm. And then, we'll, then we'll talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the last two or three we haven't done them, and, and I'm I'm okay with that. I'm good with that. Um, hey, can I? <laughs> I feel like I'm just going to do a sponsor. We don't have a sponsor, but I was, I'm like, Hey, Hey Don, can I tell you about an app that I've been using? Sure. I got one for you too. Go ahead. Okay. So do you, do you scan stuff, Don? I, this is horrible. I use tiny scan. Do you know about tiny scan? I do not. So it's a, literally, this is going to sound weird um, to the listeners. This is not a paid post. I'm, I've just been um, thinking about things to share with Don. Uh, so one of the things that we have to do when we're traveling and buying things on purchase cards from the university mm. is, is have receipts and I don't, I've lose them. I'm horrible at them. So I've been, um, I, I bought this, uh, app called tiny scan pro and I just scan them when I'm waiting in line for things and then throw the receipts out. And, and by scan, you mean, um, take a picture, take of a it. picture with your phone. Yeah. Yeah. That, but it turns it into a, like a real scan. Mm-hmm. 
Like it's they, um, it doesn't look like a picture. It grabs the um, text. If you put it into Evernote, it makes it searchable because um, Evernote's amazing. So. Yes, and we we have talked about uh, Evernote. Yes. Um, yeah. So no, I use um, I use a bunch of I have a bunch of scanning apps. Um, there is one called uh, PDF Pen, uh, which is for uh, I for the Mac, but also for the iPad. I don't know if it's for the iPhone. Um, uh, I'm, it looks like maybe not, but, um, uh, oh, PDF pen for iPhone. Yes. Yeah, so, so edit and sign PDFs on your phone. It will also do, do scanning as well. So we'll, we'll link to, we'll link to both of those. So yeah, there's lots of, uh, PDF applications. Um, I will take this opportunity though, to complain about my university, which requires original receipts. The only oh. apparently place left in the entire world that requires original receipts. So I, I, yeah, tell me about My it. Head just yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, maybe we're, maybe we're going to get better, but I, I did, um, we have these things called Tabers, travel and business expense reimbursement, something. The Caber toss. Yeah. Yes. I think that's from the, uh, from the Highland games. Yes. That's exactly what it's like. Um, um, and, uh, we just, they recently sent out a survey about like what you didn't like about the process. And there was a checklist. Well, yeah, well, that was, that's the point. There was a checklist, uh, of things you could not, you could, that you didn't like about the process. And I checked every single possibility that they, that they had. Um, I will, uh, I'll, let me find it here for you. Um, wait, is it a, did they send you a survey in hard copy? No, Ben. It was via email, but it was a scan of something that somebody had printed out and and, and hadn't OCR'd it. No, I am not kidding. Um, So so let me read this to you because this is fascinating. Um, If you you have had unsatisfactory experiences with the Tabor process within the last two years, please select all that apply. First, amount and nature of required documentation. Second, dissatisfaction with paying for expenses up front. Third, length of time before reimbursement is received. Fourth, length of time before being notified there was a problem with your submission. Next, inappropriate intrusion into your academic judgment. Oh, lots of stars next to that one. Lack of clear instructions. What is that? Okay. What is inappropriate intrusion into your academic judgment? Here's what the thing. That? If I if I think I need a piece of software to do my work, oh yeah, okay. do not tell Maybe me just, yeah. to justify that to you. I, <laughs> I'm I, I'm I don't know if you can hear me getting literally angry. You're I'm not, talking I'm not kidding. Teeth. I am pissed. That um, that is yeah that that's crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so all of those are checked, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> the only one I didn't check was other because then I would have had to write more documentation about other. And really, if they could fix all of those, you could live with what the other is. Exactly. <laughs> oh, and and oh, and Ben. But so not only is this a scan of a printout, this is a scan of a color printout which they scanned in color. Oh my gosh! So, Don, so there's what? there's a red Rutgers at the top of this PDF document. You know what they oh, need? God, tiny so scan. They need tiny scan. <laughs> they need more they than that, it. Ben. Yeah, well, they, that's where they could start. But you uh, probably have to get approval for tiny scan. I would. I would have to justify that. Oh, man. Oh, and then I, they need they need original credit card receipts. So, of course, if you buy something for your iOS device, there's no right. way to get a credit card receipt. You have the receipt from Apple, right, yeah. which says that it's going to be – it will be charged to this credit card or something, uh, something that's not sufficient because they, they came back and said, well, it doesn't say that it's been paid. It just says it will be charged to. It's like, oh, please. Oh, yes. 
how much time and money are we spending trying to keep me from committing fraud so that I can have a $20 app that I'm paying for out of a grant with money in it that I got? I mean, right. it's just... Oh. That you've also taken um, 30% overhead off of. Plus, um, <laughs> the app that I bought is to scan colored documents, which you clearly <laughs> have not figured out how to do that. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, I, so, I mean, I, let, let's continue this rant on hard copy things. <laughs> so I'm, I've got a, a student who's applying for, um, for faculty positions. Mm-hmm. And um, so she's, she applied for a job at uh, Oregon State University. And uh, every other place that she's applied for, I, I can send in a reference letter. I literally have to print my reference letter off and send it to them via mail. Wow. I, 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 I'm going to email it to them as well and say, by the way, this is coming in the mail, but they won't accept it unless it arrives in hard copy. Incredible, wow. Right? I, I, guess, I guess that's preventing someone Not, on the internet of no. being you and sending them a fake reference letter? No, because... Oh, because they could do they that. Could, they could do that with a real letter too. <laughs> Even right. easier, in fact. Right. Even way easier. <laughs> I thought that too when I first... <laughs> But at first thought I was like, no, at least if it comes from my like ncsu.edu account, I'm the one who has access to that or someone's going to have to create one. Well, and, and then that, that name is – that email address is searchable and you can see if right. it links back to your – It's like a real person. Yeah. Oh, Don, so angry. <laughs> I'm the first one to say so angry today. Oh, so – but anyway, not, not, not so angry because of the – Sending the letter. I'm happy to send the letter. So angry that it's got to be in, in hard copy and it's old. Oh, it's ridiculous. It is. Yeah. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to link to So Angry in the show notes. We are. We are. <laughs> oh, but, but, but speaking of let's – that, that kind of got us uh, kind of uh, all angry. Um, but let's, let's talk about a way, uh, some software that I've been trying out um, that might – it's not going to make you calm, but it might, it might make you more productive. And I'm I, I'm very intrigued by this software, but I'm also not convinced, completely convinced that it's not snake oil. Okay, okay. and so I've been listening to uh, like productivity podcasts on the internet, but like not the usual ones, right? Um, and there's a bunch of good ones out there. But I learned about this uh, service called Focus at Will. And and what this is, uh, and and there we'll we'll link to uh, we'll link to we'll link to them in the show notes. But if you go to focusatwill.com, mm-hmm. you can you can see about it. But basically, what it is is it's a, it's a music service <clears throat> that where you basically by listening to this music, and this is this sounds totally crazy. <laughs> okay, it's th- that it will help you concentrate better, and. Uh, and there's and there's people that have PhDs that some of whom are professors that have developed this. Um, and I read I heard about it on a podcast. Uh, people on the podcast really liked it. If you go into iTunes and you look at it, I think it's got very very favorable ratings in iTunes. Um, and they're offering a 30 day free trial. So I'm on uh, day 29 uh, of my 30 day or, or 29 days remaining in my in my 30 day free trial. And uh, I don't know, Ben, maybe I'm just fooling myself. Maybe it's placebo effect, but I think I'm more productive. Really? <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Well, that's, that's good. Um, can, you, can you give me a sense of the music that it is? Oh, is it- um, 
there's lots of different choices. So, um, and we'll also link to the, um, we'll link to the, the podcast that I listened to that kind of got me started. They have a list. I'll just read off all the different possibilities. Okay. They have uh, classical focus spa, up tempo, alpha chill, acoustical, not acoustic, acoustical, acoustical, acoustic, cin- acoustic cinematic like. ambient water, which is not music, but actually the sound of water, Baroque piano and ADHD type one. <laughs> What is what is ADHD type one? Um, I will play it now, and okay. I, I'm going to go to, and, and then there's three energy levels: low, medium, and high. So I'm going to play, and I have not listened to this yet. ADHD type one high. Yeah, that's what I want. It's, yeah, it's. I think it's pretty. It's pretty. Um, I think it's pretty nasty because um, they talk about it on the podcast. Hold on. Are you playing it? Are you playing not yet. Okay. It's it's starting to play now. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold it. I'm gonna hold my headphones over the microphone, and hopefully okay. it won't blow up. Okay. All right, go. Did you hear that? Yeah, yeah. that I'd listen so. to. That I might listen to. <laughs> okay, but just oh, oh, I, and so uh, only because when I am trying to when I, when I'm. I have a uh, like a deadline, or I've got a short amount of time, and I'm trying to get something done. I'm often we, we've probably talked about this a little, a little bit in the past. I'm often putting stuff in my iTunes that is um, uh, like industrial. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of Nine Inch Nails, mm-hmm. um, that but very like and. and um, but they're more like distorted stuff that that's on repeat and it really just drowns everything else out. So that, that I could do that. Well, that's the kind of and, stuff and I just have to share a story since we're talking about productivity and, and, uh, and music like that. So when, when Merlin visited Rutgers back when he was, I think this was back before he was doing back to work when he was still working on the, uh, abortive book project, there was a, a time there right before he was going to give his talk where he really had to make progress on the book. And so he was sitting there with Norwegian, listening to Norwegian death metal, trying yeah. to, trying to write this, this book. Uh, and I will always remember that. <laughs> I that I understand that a little bit. That's the, that's the kind of stuff that's drowning everything else. It's it's my white noise. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I, all right. Check, I, it, okay. it's a, day, you're on day one. I'm uh, day day two because tw- tw- yeah. So and the problem is is that it does not work offline, right? So uh-huh. you you have to have an internet connection because you, you don't you can't cache the music on your on your device. So but does it have an app that streams? It does have an app that streams, and and okay. you can do from your desk. That was the desktop that I was just using, but it also has an app. Yes. So so you can do it from your phone. Yes, you can and- do it from your phone as long as you have a good you yeah. know a good internet connection and not when you're not in like on a plane on your way to Brazil. Exactly. Yeah, I will have to. I will have to find a way. Yeah, here it is. So it's from the Beyond the To Do List podcast, um, which uh, we will. Uh, yeah, Beyond the To Do List episode seventy six. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, can I read to you some of the stuff from the but, Focus at Will Science Primer? <laughs> sure, because it's amazing. <laughs> Have you read this? You must. Have. Uh, I skimmed you signed it. Signed up with it. I, okay. I, you know, it's, it's free for thirty days. I'm gonna. Re- I'll probably read it again before I plunk down my five bucks a month. Our ears can translate sounds between twenty and and twenty thousand hertz, which is marvelous for making out the distinct calls of birds, or the hushed voices of our tribal neighbors sounding low over the evening fire. Our somatic senses warn us 
when a tick brushes past a hair on our neck on its search for a meal, or just as importantly, when our bodies are running low on fuel. But today, we don't necessarily have to worry about predators and prey is often found with a quick stop at the local grocer's freezer aisle. Oh, which is good for the AFI um, connection. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, no, the but, but I'm not sure why there would be an AFI connection, but... Uh, right, right. What, but, exactly. but anyway, people don't even um, know what that means. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, but the neural equipment we evolved to detect, process, and respond to environmental stimuli is the same. Oh, man. So it, uh, they basically talk about uh, um, how uh, music focuses you, which is focus at will, I guess, where it comes from. Yeah, and it's... And, but they talk about, you know, in the... Po- and we'll link... Again, I found the podcast and we'll link to it. But, you know, one of the, the things that they make, the points they make in the podcast is... That if you listen to your own music, that is actually distracting you, whereas this music is designed to focus you, right? So, gotcha. uh, I mean, I don't know. Listen, listen, listen to the podcast, judge for yourself. But uh, anyway, I just... I'll check it out. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, do we're scientists, right? Here's yeah. the thing. We're scientists. Um, we should be objective. We should keep an open mind. And, hey, it's a 30-day free trial, right? Exactly. What do we have to lose? Right. Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Nothing. Because you're going to be listening to music anyway, right? I, I am. I am, definitely. Um, speaking of we're, we're scientists, mm-hmm. what a great... You're just full of segues today. You know that, <laughs> um, Doug posted something on Barfblog last oh, night. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is great. And it's, so the post is... It's short. It's, who are you? Question mark. Scientist, writer, whatever. His post is, I thought I was a scientist, then a writer, then a scientist, and now again a writer. Maybe I'm both. And he just posted uh, something that may, he may have gotten it on Pinterest. Uh, rules of scientist life. Number one, see, this is just a, a, a picture quote or picture full of quotes. See failure is a beginning, not an end. Number two, never stop learning. Number three, mm. assume nothing, question everything. Four, teach others what you know. Five, analyze objectively. Six, practice humility. Seven, respect constructive criticism. Eight, give credit where it's due. Nine, take initiative. Ten, ask the tough questions early. And because it's a spinal tap list, there is 11. Um, 11, love what you do or leave. And uh, um, you, uh, he tweeted it, and you, or, or I tweeted it. Someone, someone tweeted something, and you responded um, to me by saying, um, all good scientists are writers, not all good writers are scientists. Right, and then and then we I had somebody else respond. Um, yeah, actually, and then yeah. I yeah, yeah, a student of yours. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Not all good scientists are good writers, and you said I would disagree. To be a good scientist, and you'd be a good writer, or at least hire one. Yeah. So, I, so I, I see your um, the subtleness of of your point is you may be a pretty good scientist, but you can't be a good scientist unless you're a good writer. Well, and or or, or if you or, you can do all the greatest work in the world. <clears throat> but if you never publish it, it doesn't count. Yep. Yeah, and, exactly. and that's, you know, I mean, I'm, I will, I, 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 you know, I, I, I can't give any ground on that. I mean, it's too, it's too easy, you know, yeah. and but you can, you can, you can do good research. You can, you can talk about it and you can do workshops about it and that's fine. But if you don't ever actually publish it, you're really, you're not a good, you might be a scientist, but you're not, a, in my opinion, a good scientist. It never happened. Right. It's not out there. Right. Right. And uh, just because you said it happened or because you publish a PowerPoint presentation no, it's, on the it web that doesn't get that gets a press release but not peer review doesn't count. Exactly. Um so that no, was good. 
I, I like the, I like this rule. These uh, rules of the science of life. I don't it's, like. Rules. I don't know where Doug found it, but it's yeah, it's really nice. I, I, I yeah. very much like the post. Very short, but a great post. Yeah, and it's the and it's the thing that this is a this is a philosophy. This is all the all the stuff that's out there. Teach others what you know. I mean, um, I, I don't look at uh, at. Um, the process of, of having graduate students start and, and finish as, well, this is what I need to do to, to get, you know, papers out. It's, it's that better be able to transfer this knowledge to somebody because they want them to go do it somewhere else and, and continue this stuff on. So it was good. I liked it. Um, so, yeah. What else we got? What else do you want to talk about? Well, I think there was something because we've we've I've apparently changed my workflow, which is I think has led you to change your workflow. But now we don't have this nice organized text file. We just have this jumble of PDFs. I kind of like um, it though. It's, it's <laughs> this is this is where I but, need uh, ADHD uh, level three uh, music. Uh, but what I want to talk about is because, um, uh, again, it's a perennial topic on this podcast, uh, food, the intersection of food safety with social media. And this is something that uh, Doug just posted on Barf Blog recently. Um, social media spurns Alaskan restaurant closure. Facebook posts leads to health inspection. And. This is great. I mean, so the Alaska, I'll read briefly from the post, the Alaska Department of Environmental Conservation closed the Mayflower Restaurant in Fairbanks on Tuesday after the state agency was tipped off to alleged food safety violations via the department's Facebook page. The uh, environmental health officer said, we can confirm they were closed today for sanitation deficiencies and will be actively working with the facility to reopen as soon as possible. A photo showing what appears to be a cockroach near a stack of plates made the rounds on social media Tuesday, shared with the uh, DEC through the Facebook page, which spurred the in-person inspection of the restaurant and and discovery of, quote, sanitary deficiencies, end quote. And then somehow there's a really nice picture here of the Mayflower Buffet, all you can eat. Right. Yes. Um, which looks, uh, looks pretty good. Um, it, uh, yeah, I, so I've been talking, um, this last week I, I gave, I don't know, three different talks on like using big data, I guess. I don't know. I don't know much about that, but I do know about it. doesn't how- stop you from giving a talk though. No, right. Well, just exactly. You won't, you're not going to see me publish a paper on it. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, but you'll talk about it. Well, I'm, I guess what I'm what I'm talking to people about is that others are using big data, right? right? Like like right. that um, uh, Chicago Department of Health uh, used Twitter to look for signals uh, around foodborne illness in specific restaurants, and then tweeted at those people and said, "Hey, tell us about what happened," and then uh, investigated uh, those restaurants. So they're proactively using that. Uh, New York City um, Department of Health folks did a similar thing with Yelp. Uh, and then there, and both of those things were written up in uh, MMWR over the last couple of months. And, and the New York City one's really interesting. That they found three like confirmed outbreaks that they hadn't picked up in other surveillance methods. And so this, wow, this inter- that's, yeah. that's 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 pretty impressive. It's incredibly impressive. And they even talked about how the resource of it. You know, they they coupled with with Yelp to mine it in a sort of automatic way, and they had to do some follow ups, but could automate some of it. So it didn't even cost them, you know, very much or take too much time to do it. <laughs> um, but just you know, you're looking at a different uh, different data pool uh, wow. of people. Um, so yeah, it was really it's interesting stuff. Uh, but anyway, I mean, this is the same kind of thing. It's the more. Um, uh, engagement, the more accessibility that people have, the more exposure, the more people are telling, you know, self, self-reporting self things or 
or self-identifying um, online as being part of a group or, or having symptoms or whatever, um, you know, the the really smart public health people are going to um, find ways to, to put it to good. And there's lots of oversharing, but uh, some of that oversharing, uh, if, it, if it leads to identifying outbreaks and figuring out what happened and, and then correcting those issues so it doesn't happen again, that's a that's a big win. So well, this is a cool one. And, and the fact that it, it could be done in a fairly low-cost way you know, is, is tremendous. Now, you know, it's interesting in the MMWR article, there's one figure which basically shows the more than a quarter million reviews that they downloaded weekly, but, and then sort of the winnowing process whereby they go through that. Um, so, you know, they had basically in the end, um, they had 27 reviewers that were actually interviewed by the Department of Health. So they went from a quarter, more than a quarter million reviews down to 27 people they actually talked to. And then from that, um, three outbreak criteria. So it's not, I mean, that's, that's the, the blessing and the curse of big data, right? There's a lot of signal and, right. Or there's a lot of no, there's a lot of data. There's a lot of signal, but but there's a lot of noise in that signal too. And so how how do you go through and parse that? But the fact that it, they could do it cost effectively is very encouraging to me because I mean they, that's their job anyway, right? So this is just another data stream. Um, yeah, I mean, fantastic. It, yeah, absolutely. And um, the you know New York did theirs kind of. Um, within the system where Chicago set up uh, a Twitter feed for people to tweet at them um, in a, you know, and, and, and then searching hashtags as well um, from it. It's, it's, I, I like that. There are lots of people that are trying this stuff out and, but ultimately you're, you're right. The, um, the curse of it is that there's a lot and you can get lost in it and not find anything in the signal. So how do you dedicate a little bit of resource, but not too much because you may never find anything. Um, right. But it, the, but the more we study it and the more successes we have, people will be there to tell the story about, well, okay, this works and this doesn't yeah. work. So yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. And then here's, here's the situation where, um, you know, the, the one we started with here in, in Alaska where it's an accessibility issue, right? It's, it's someone who said, look, I just saw something that the health department should know about. Instead of me calling them up, which no one's going to do in, unless they're at Rutgers University and you have to do it in hard copy, maybe send them a fax. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, fax, fax my PDF. Fax my, my scanned <laughs> PDF to them. Um, no one's going to do that. They're going to – but, I mean, there's, it's nothing to be – standing in line or at a red light and be like, hey, I just saw something at this restaurant. I'm going to post it on their Facebook page and see what happens. You know, accessibility and, and, and ease. I'm, I'm finding, I don't know if you're, you know, are, are you finding that you're using, I use my phone more now. Like even, and I've had, you know, I've had the, the iPhone 5 for a, almost a couple of years and I'm just finding that I'm using it relative to my iPads, I'm using it more than I was. It's, I don't know if it's, I've got better workflow or better app, but it's, it's this kind of stuff. It's, well, this is something I can do really quickly. And my phone happens to be in my hand and I don't have to wait to get anywhere. And I'm doing more of that stuff, like starting things and finishing things on my phone than I was even six, eight months ago. And, but this is like this, this Alaska case is, is to me, that's how this happens is someone, someone sitting on their phone and they're like, ah, oh, what is it going to take? It's a couple of seconds for me to post this up on their website or on their Facebook page. Right. Well, and, and yeah, and I would say I use my phone in the same way where it's something that, 
you know, that where I just need to do something very quickly, um, where I get bogged down <clears throat> with using my phone for stuff is, and we can, we'll talk a little bit about iOS eight because apparently we need to do that too on this podcast. We do. Um, That's a requisite for all podcasts this week. This week. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, is that, um, it's, it's even with, with the features now in iOS eight, it's even easier to do stuff. Like for example, I use, I, I use, you know, if I have to use a website that requires a login, I could kind of do that through the one app, one password app before, but now with the, the new features that iOS eight enables, it's a whole lot easier. It's still a few more steps than on the PC or on the, on the, the desktop, but there it's, it's much easier to go and log into a website and then the inner app communications is much better. So, um, and then what I think is going to blow everything away is when, uh, Yosemite comes out, um, or I was talking to my son the other day, uh, as he calls it, Yosemite, Yosemite. <laughs> when, Love it. when Yosemite comes out and the, the handoff stuff starts to work, I mean, I'm not yes. ready to install the beta of Yosemite. I don't need it that badly, but when that comes out and you have a handoff, so you can start something on your phone and then move it to your desk. Like you start writing an email on your phone and it shows up on your desktop and, and vice versa. That is going to be really cool. And, and, Yes. But, but, you know, the, there are still things that I, because of the way my workflow works, I will sometimes, sometimes I'll, I'll read news feeds on the phone. I never read news feeds on the desktop. I will read news feeds on the phone and sometimes I'll read news feeds on the iPad, but then the iPad is really where I do all of my reviewing. Um, but now I've gotten so used to doing uh, making um, comments on PDFs using Siri that I have to, I can't go in my backyard and do it because the internet doesn't reach that far. Um, so I have to go, uh, or the Wi-Fi doesn't reach that far. But um, the uh, if I sit on my front porch, I have good internet connection and I can just dictate into Siri what my comments are on the PDF. And that is... Uh, just, I mean, I realized this morning I was overdue on a way overdue on a review because they hadn't sent me a reminder and I could just sit down on, at my, on my porch and just crank through it. And I still, still go back to the desktop to put it all together and upload it to the website, but just enabled me to crank through that review tremendously effectively. So, um, I'm using my phone for more, um, but I don't. I mean, I still there's still a role for the iPad in my oh, yeah. workflow, and there's still yeah, a right. role for my for my desktop and in, in all that as well. Yeah, it's not um, it's not replacing anything. I'm just I, I'm finding it as the apps get better and and that, the handoff concept. I mean, I do. That's one of the reasons why I love Evernote is because I'm uh, that's where I'm doing all of my writing, <laughs> um, and it's and it's already a, a handoff kind of sync app. Um, where where I start a blog post on my phone, I just show up on my computer, and there it is started, and I'm good to go. Um, so, well, yeah, you know, I, and what? And so I'm not using Evernote, but one thing that I did recently, um, I, I don't know if since the last time we talked, but quite recently, and maybe if I've mentioned it to you before, I apologize, but um, I had been using Dropbox with my graduate students quite a bit, but all of my main files that I'm the only one that accesses them, they were all on the desktop. And I said, you know, I've got with this new, the new um, rate uh, decreases for Dropbox or the new yep. storage increases, I just moved that all to Dropbox. Of course, it took forever to get it all uploaded, but now 
everything is on Dropbox. So if I'm somewhere out and about and I have my phone with me and I want to see, oh my gosh, what was that reservation number or what yep. is the schedule for that thing or who's on this committee, all of that stuff <clears throat> is in a hierarchical structure, which is now all synced with Dropbox. So I've got it, all access to all of it. So um, it's really, um, yeah, it's really definitely moving more towards, you know, doing, doing a lot of that stuff in the cloud where I can make those, make those handoffs. I love it. It makes it so much easier. Yeah. Um, so, hey, um, you got a flight to catch at some point tonight, right? It's not so – the flight is at 10, so – But we've been talking an hour and a half, so I think, I think that – and that's a good, that was a good show. It kinda, we kind of – a little bit different uh, flow this time, but I think it worked. We're, you know what? We'll, we'll get this figured out. 70, you know, 71 episodes. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it working out. We'll, we'll, we'll hit our stride eventually. <laughs> I like, Absolutely. I like what we're doing. I like what we're doing. I do too. Um, great. As always, uh, fun to, to catch up, um, safe travels to, to Brazil. Um, and, uh, once you get situated, we'll figure out our, uh, our, what, what we're doing. Sounds we'll, good. We'll record some more. So Sounds good. Again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, I did, and I didn't talk about my new uh, podcast setup. So I still have my um, I still have my desk, my treadmill desk. Um, but it, I would like try to sort of inch the treadmill over and slide a chair up, and, and then everything would be awkward. But so now what I do, and I don't want I can't I don't really have a, the, my chair. I can't put my chair on the treadmill. But a while back, I did get one of these. Um, uh, Hang on a second. I don't think putting your chair on the treadmill is, is what, first of all, would be very effective. Secondly, it's probably not what it was built for. Yes. With the treadmill not running then. Oh, that's more, um, that's boring. But, but what I do have is I do have one of these yoga balls. So, so my, my new podcast setup is I sit on a yoga ball on the treadmill. Amazing. <laughs> the treadmill's not running. You're like a circus seal. <laughs> <laughs> And you're, do you have like a yo-yo that you're just whipping away as well? I got this uh, microphone cord. I can be like a Pete Townsend uh, oh. or a Roger Daltrey style microphone. Whipping just around. whip it around. Smoking a cigar. <laughs> playing, uh, <laughs> trying to think of all other random things you could be doing. Um, oh.
That's funny. That's well. That's good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you got your setup. I'm still like hunching. I'm still crouched over. You gotta send me the details on the new desktop mic stand that you that you oh. purchased. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, I haven't. I, I took it. I didn't take it out of the box. I opened the box and looked at it. So you're like, yeah, that's a mic stand. Good. Yeah. Yep. Good. Um, cool. Yeah, that was fun. Um, I don't even have anything for After Dark for you. We I haven't watched much of anything. Oh, actually, no, that's not entirely true. I did watch every episode of the John Oliver show over the last two Oh, weeks. yeah. I, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I've. it's not worth getting HBO for it. But no. I think my, my son, the one that says Yosemite, um, <laughs> also offered to share his... Uh, we can say this, right? He's yeah. offered to share his HBO Go uh, login with me, but... Yeah, you acquire, sometimes you acquire things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've I, and I've seen I've seen uh, clips uh, that people have posted to the internet, and it looks and I we love John. I mean, he's coming uh, he's coming to New Brunswick, and we're gonna go we're gonna go see him. Um, but yeah, he's hilarious. He's hilarious. The um, the show is just a different. I mean, not I mean, it's like Colbert and it's mm-hmm. like Stewart, except he's got instead of four minutes for a segment, he does a twenty minute segment on on certain things and just deconstructs it all and goes back and historically and he's mm-hmm. just he's good and he gets to swear so that makes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it is it is it an hour long or half? No, hour? It's, a, it's a half hour, wow. but it's like an HBO half hour. So it's not a twenty <clears> minute. <throat> it's like thirty one minutes or something. <laughs> um, yeah, and so he's got he's got a, a, like it's more like a. Like a sixty minutes type thing, except it's only thirty minutes, right? But he's got he's got a whole week to really focus in on a story. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, it's really it's really good. Hmm. Do you yeah, know uh, the second second person to recommend that this week? So oh, cool. Check it out. We're turning them out here. Yeah, we should we should really try to catch up. Why? Well, yeah. Well, do you want me to put it up earlier? No, 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 no. Oh. Like I don't think we should put them up more than once a week. Yeah. Okay. I think we just go once a week until we're all caught up. That would be a good plan. Um, cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, I'm going to go uh, call somebody. <laughs> I'm going to go pack for Brazil. Oh, yeah, have fun in Brazil. Thanks. Um, All right. Talk to you soon, Ben. Bye-bye. Bye.